I forgot to do one thing. I hate interrupting the flow from worship to discussion, but my discussion sheets are up here. I forgot to hand those out earlier, so come grab one. One person per table needs to grab one, whether it be an intern, volunteer, or a student. Every table needs to grab one of those. And if you haven't noticed, the stories in Acts are not very conducive to short sermons. So, I'm going to try, once again, like last week, I'm going to try to roll through this, steamroll through this passage, um, all 30 verses of it, and, uh, and we'll get to some discussion here. Um, if you're new with us today, we're in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is just after the Gospels. Turn to the New Testament, and you're going to turn to the right and uh, you're going to go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you're going to hit, going to hit the book of Acts. Um, the book of Acts is basically the story of the church. This is after Christ ascended. This is what happened after Jesus left the earth and how the church began. So whatever happened in the book of Acts, this is eventually what got the gospel all the way here to Temple, Texas. What took place in the book of Acts is what got Christians and the gospel as far as Temple, Texas. It's pretty hard to believe. But this, this is basically your spiritual ancestors in this book, in the book of Acts. So um, a way to think about the book of Acts is this. Uh, I mentioned to you earlier, uh, a couple weeks ago, that the book of Acts is like one big file. If you go to your computer, you got some files there. If you click on a file, you have smaller files inside the bigger file, correct? So um, Acts is like the big file, and in the big file of Acts, you've got books like 1st, 2nd Corinthians, 1st, 2nd Timothy. You've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Romans. Basically, all the books of Paul can kind of fit inside the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of what happened. But the other books I described, Paul's letters, those are letters that he wrote while the story of Acts was happening. Okay, So if you think about that in terms of how this book's related to the rest of the Bible, that gives you a clue. So today we're talking about Ephesus. Now, any idea what letter was written to this group of people? Yes, Philippians. How did you know? Uh, Ephesians. Ephesians. Genesis. Yes. Um, Now, Ephesus was an interesting town. Ephesus was kind of like, it was a place that was uh, steeped in sorcery and magic and lots of mysticism. Um, This would be much like a place like New Orleans or Vegas, possibly. Anyone here been to New Orleans before? Of course, our mission trip people from last year. As you walk through New Orleans, you, you get this vibe. This place has a weird vibe, right? It's got a weird vibe to it. Um, lots of voodoo going on. Lots of crazy people in front of the, the town square that will say, I'll, I'll tell your future right now. Um, Ephesus was known as a place that was very spiritual. Not godly, but it was spiritual. They loved magic. They delved into sorcery, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. That's Ephesus. So look at Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Acts 19, verse 11. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits Left them. We're going to stop right there for just a moment. Paul, in that day, you had to walk around with a sweat rag. It was so hot. 
I, I know we can't relate to this, but you had to walk around with a sweat rag, wiping the sweat off your face. And so what happened here, Paul had these sweat rags that he's wiping sweat off his brow um, and that sort of thing. And people would, they knew who Paul was, knew he had the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And so they would literally take those cloths, take them to sick people and people that were demon-possessed, and people would touch those and they'd be healed. Now, this sounds crazy and wacky and very much like something that you might find on, I don't know, a certain channel on TV these days, something crazy and wacky that you just don't quite understand. So with that in mind, um, do questions one through three. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, I'm guessing that there are people in the room, I'm guessing there are people in the room, whenever you read a passage like the one that we just read, there's a bit of skepticism that you feel towards it. And I understand that. Those of us that have been raised in the church our entire lives, uh, people like me, we can read a passage like that and we can just go, yeah, of course. Of course that can happen, right? But then if you really think about it, we, we say that that's, that's the case of what happens in Scripture, but if I hear about someone coming and telling me today about this happen happening, I would say my first gut reaction is to go, you're crazy, and we should put you in the loony bin, okay? That's my gut reaction, okay? I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that's my gut reaction. Now, if you're a skeptic of this kind of thing, I want to remind you, because I know it's funny how we, we think sometimes, someone who is a God-fearing, God-honoring Christian can say, yeah, I believe God created us. I believe God created the earth. I believe that God um, is there. I believe that Jesus Christ resurrected. We can affirm all those things. Then we read this verse, and we're like, no, can't do that. No. There's no way that you can heal someone with rags, sweat rags. There's no way. And so I want to remind you that we are floating right now on a speck of dust in the Milky Way galaxy. That is somewhat miraculous. So you've got to be careful being a skeptic of just certain things you see in Scripture because God can do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. So that's the first thing. Now the question we have to ask is, does God still do this kind of thing today? I think there are two extremes we have to avoid when it comes to seeing these kinds of things today. Now, the first extreme is, don't believe those people who say God just doesn't do this kind of thing anymore. Don't buy into that lie. Because we cannot limit God. Now, I was raised in a church that did teach that, that taught God doesn't do this kind of stuff. The kind of stuff that we're talking about in Acts was for a set, specific period of time. And they have certain verses they use. They do kind of like verse gymnastics to get there. But I think that... Um, I think that you have to say you can't show from Scripture emphatically that God just doesn't do stuff like that anymore, okay? So here, that's one side. You can't buy into that lie. On the other side of the, of the extreme, don't believe those people that you see on TV. Don't believe the people that you see on TV selling prayer claws for $60. If you, if you send me $60, bucks, i will give you a prayer cloth that's magic, has magic healing power. That is crazy. And here's how you know it's crazy. If someone is making money off of this message, you know they're probably a fake, very likely a fake. 
if someone has a business, a healing business, then you know they're probably fake, okay? If there's money involved, it's probably a big lie. So that's the other extreme. So I think you've got to be really careful that you don't fall into one of those two extremes. Be open to what God wants to do and what God has, is doing in people's lives. We all know people that have been healed in some way or fashion. Every act of healing is a miracle, right? And so in this passage, God is doing powerful miracles through Paul. And what he is doing is he is showing that the gospel is more powerful than their magic, okay? So think, think about this. The reason why God may have allowed this to happen in this culture is because these people were used to magic and sorcery and all kinds of crazy stuff, and then the Holy Spirit shows up through Paul and does some amazing works through these, these, these items and totally shows that he is the authority, he is the ultimate power and the one that gives power to Paul. And then as a result of these miracles, the, the gospel, the door for the gospel is opened up. These miracles gave the gospel traction and helped it spread. Look at verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. So what's happening, there are some Jewish people, people that are not Christians, and they are just trying to use the name of Jesus to cast out some evil spirits. So these are not Christ followers. These are Jewish people who are just trying to invoke the name of Christ to cast out demons. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The seven sons of Sceva, this is a Jewish chief priest, a Jewish chief priest were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. Now Jesus I know, and Paul I know about. But who are you? So here's what's happening. These guys are trying to cast out these demons and this one guy. And they're trying to invoke the name of Christ to get more power to do so. And they are not Christ followers. And the demon says to them, he goes, okay, Jesus I know. I know about Paul. But who are you guys? This is like calling someone a poser to their face, right? And so he says, but who are you? Now watch what happens, verse 16. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That is a bad day. And so what's happening is that these people, these people see what Paul is doing and they want a piece of the action. They see Paul casting out demons they want to do the same thing with, with the power that Paul is using. And so many people are trying magic. They're casting out demons. Now, on the surface, this, look, this looks right and good. On the surface, it looks like, okay, Jesus, good. Casting out demons, good. But trying to cast out demons before you're a Christian and have the Holy Spirit's power in you, that's always a bad idea, right? And so trying to use the name of Jesus for selfish gain is a bad idea. So these guys were not Christ followers yet. In verse 15, um, or let's skip down to, uh, here, here's why Luke is telling the story. I think what he's trying to convey to us is that without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, you are completely and totally helpless in the face of demonic evil. In the face of demonic evil, we are completely helpless without Christ, without the Holy Spirit. And it ends with you being naked and bloody, Right? It does not end well when we try to confront evil 
apart from Jesus. And so when the demon wins, you know Jesus was not involved, okay? When the demon triumphs, you know that Jesus was not a part of that equation. Now, on the one hand, you might say, okay, wait a second. They believed in Jesus, did they not? They used his name. Here's what they did. They used Jesus. They didn't want Jesus. They just wanted to use him. They mixed in a little bit of Jesus for their gain. These guys are just walking through life, and they hear about Jesus and the power that he provides. So they want to co-opt him, mix him in just a little bit, mention his name for their own selfish gain. And I think there's some ways that we do this very same thing. We are walking through life, and we see in someone else's life the power of the gospel. As we're walking past those people, we think to ourselves, you know what, I, I could use a bit of Jesus. I could, I could mix in a little bit of Jesus into my life. I could add him to my life. And so we, we co-opt Jesus. We try to mix him into our life. And we don't want to follow him, worship him, love him, or obey him. We just want to use his name when it's convenient. We just want to use his name for our own selfish gain, our own selfish motives. And so what we tend to do is we try to sort of tack him on to our crowded life in the hopes that we can gain something. This is what we do as well. Look at verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Verse 18, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord was spread widely and grew in power. So when the, when, when the word spread about this beatdown, it says that, um, that people got afraid. They became scared and terrified. And so people began bringing their, their pagan books, their pagan ritual books, to be burned. Okay? And so this culture was into magic and sorcery. They kept books of spells. Believe that. They kept books of spells worth a lot of money. In fact, the stuff I read this past week said that um, this could be anywhere from, like, in, in today's currency, uh, thousands, if not millions of dollars just got burned in this bonfire, okay? These were very expensive books for them and very valuable for them to keep. And so these people come and they repent, and uh, these guys could have cashed in, but they repented. They turned from their wicked ways, and they repented, turned towards Christ. I want you to look at verse 18. It's very interesting. Verse 18 says, Many of those who had believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. These people, watch the sequence here. These people believed, and then Jesus changed them. They believed, and then Jesus changed them. I think some of us have it backwards. Most of us think that you change first, then you come to Jesus. Most of us think that you pretty your life up, you take care of your morality, you get your life together, then you come to Jesus. You, you present yourself to him once you've kind of taken care of your sin yourself. That would make you your own savior and not Jesus. So many of us have this backwards. I think we think we've got to change first and then come to Jesus the message of the gospel is the opposite. It's come to Jesus, and he changes you. 
The message of Christ is come to Christ with all of your junk, and he changes you. That is the gospel. But here's the reality. When someone does believe, when someone truly wants to follow Christ, you do see the evidence. And we see the evidence in these people's lives. They, they believe in Christ, but they still have some junk. They still have some, they're still doing pagan rituals. They're still doing some sinful things. And then they get convicted. The Holy Spirit convicts them. And they turn from that. And they come and they burn their books. Because they know Christ has something else for them. I think there are two kinds of people. Go to the next slide. There are two kinds of people. Those who want to use Jesus for their gain and those who want to be used by Jesus for his gain. There are those who want to use Jesus for their gain. This is the first kind of person in the story, the kind of people that want to tack Christ onto their life, use his name for their own selfish gain. And there are those who want to be used by Jesus for his gain, for his glory, for his kingdom. There are those who try to fit Christ into their crowded life, and there, there are those who give him their whole life. And so how do we know if someone is truly following Jesus? As you think about yourself, as you think about your friends, how do you know if someone's truly following Christ? The question you have to answer is, has it led to life change? Has it led to true life change? Do your next three questions, four, five, and six. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, let's look at verse 23. And we'll kind of uh, run through these last few verses fairly quickly. Verse 23, it says, About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. Now, the way was basically what Christians were called. Christianity was called back in that time. Verse 24, A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, that was the goddess there in Ephesus, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. So Ephesus was a place where this great temple for Artemis resided. And this goddess was worshipped throughout that whole part of the world. Now, I have a picture of what it may have looked like. This is actually larger than a football field. And... Much larger than that. So, yeah, go back to the picture. That would be the picture there, yes. And, uh, and so this, this massive structure is dedicated to Artemis. And what is happening is guys like Demetrius would make little uh, miniature temples, little silver, silver temples to go. And people would come along and they would buy those, take them home, and have it as a place in their house to worship Artemis, as well as taking pilgrimage to Ephesus to worship her there. So... This was big business. 
This was a massive business in Ephesus. It was known as a place that worshipped Artemis. Now, Demetrius gets up. He warns everyone about Paul. He says this message is going to hurt their business. And this would be like walking into a Muslim country, what Paul is doing, walking into a Muslim country and declaring their religion false. And so everything that they know to be true in their own minds is being declared false by Paul and his friends. And everyone is really, really mad. You can understand why they would be. Look at verse 28. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd. That's just like him, isn't it? Everybody wants to kill me. Where are they? In verse 30, it says, uh, Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. This is the theater today, another picture of what it looks like. This is a massive place. This would seat over 25,000 people. So imagine an angry mom in this theater, and they want to kill you, and you're like, let me at him. I'll, I'll talk to him. We'll discuss things, right? And so this is Paul. This is Paul and his boldness as we have come to know him, a guy who does not care at all about his own life. And so this place holds thousands of people. Paul tries to go in where they want to kill him. Look at verse 32. It says, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. I'm just picturing this scene. Everyone's shouting different things, right? Like, you, you guys have been a part of a riot. Any, any riot starters here? Um, as you know, riots just kind of start with one purpose, and then everyone kind of jumps in. They're like, I like burning cars, and I like tear gas. I like getting shot at by police. And everyone just kind of jumps in because it's a riot, and you want to put it on Facebook. So that's what happens in this story. And so some people are shouting, greatest Artemis. Others are shouting, Justin Bieber's a woman. Um, others are shouting, boy bands stink, right? It's this conglomeration of people that come together. No one knows why they're there. And they're just shouting who knows what. And a small percentage of people really understand what's happening in this story. Now, now listen. Um, so the place breaks out. Uh, this, I'm not going to read the rest of the passage, but basically this thing gets quelled by a guy who's um, a, like a town, a city council person. But what I want you to get from this whole crazy story that we just read to you is this one main point as we close out today. It's basically this. Go to my last slide. And I'm going to reveal it right now. Okay, it's real simple. Jesus is not convenient. Jesus is not convenient. In this story, the gospel Listen, in this story, the gospel kills someone's business, causes others to burn their valuables, creates persecution for Paul, and causes a riot. The gospel turns Ephesus upside down. The gospel turns Ephesus on its head. And the question I want to ask you today is, is this what you want? Is this what you want for your life? Do you want Jesus to turn your life upside down? Or do you want to just try to mix in a little Jesus for your convenience and comfort? 
Are you the kind of person that wants Jesus Christ to transform your life completely and totally? Or do you just want to tack him on to your crowded, sinful life and just hope for the best? Which, which kind of person are you going to be? I think for many, in the, for many high school students, this is when you stop following Christ, is when you realize Jesus is not convenient. When you realize that he is not going to make every aspect of your life better in your eyes, that's when you decide, you know what, that's not what I expected from him. I'm not going to follow him anymore. So is that going to be, are you going to be a person who rejects Jesus in high school because he is making your life very uncomfortable and very inconvenient? Go and discuss your last two questions. Don't forget those that committed to go over there and, and move the backpacks. Two more questions and go ahead and pray for your tables when you're done.